Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. Faith is a result of a person's brokenheartedness through the conviction of the Holy Spirit to see your need of a Savior, your lostness, the wrath of God upon you. And by His grace allows you to make a decision and you repented of your sins. You saw yourself poor in spirit that deserves salvation. You're saved by grace through faith and not of yourself as a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By the grace of God, that which He will reward us, He did through us. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There are many world religions with many good teachings and principles, but there's only one that can back its claims with proof. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his study in 1 Corinthians, he helps bring to light the significance and simple truths of the resurrection. Let's listen. The resurrection of the body is something that is kind of hard to believe apart from Jesus Christ for the simple reason that Jesus is the only one who was ever raised from the dead in that quality of raising. In other words, he wasn't just merely brought back to life, but he was raised in a glorified body, just what is promised to us. Everyone else that Jesus rose from the dead and even those from the Old Testament were brought back to life and they died again. Jesus did not. That's what he's talking about. There are many religions, as you know, and philosophies that promise um, incredible things after the death of an individual, the afterlife, but none of them can produce any evidence of what they promise. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, nor any other so-called prophet or man of God has ever reached or achieved what they taught, and most of them were uncertain about their own eternal state at death because they were merely religious people. Jesus was God who became man. He reached sinners by that act. I'm always amazed at the nonsense that people believe when it comes to the eternal state after death, such as reincarnation. We have no evidence of it, but somebody believes that that cockroach they don't want to step on might be granny. (laughs) Because they're going to come back too. On what basis of evidence do we have? Nothing. Listen, there's only been one person who's died and come back from the dead. That's Jesus Christ. So it would be best to ask somebody who's gone through it. Right? And many of these men promise all these things regardless of their lifestyle. Many of them being evil, a bunch of perverts, and yet people follow them. First look at a man's life. Then what he says. Very important. Now, Paul the Apostle confronted a similar situation at Corinth as some of them were denying the physical resurrection. Remember, the Corinthians were Greeks. They came out of the influence of the Greek culture. And the Greeks believed in the immortality of the soul and the spirit, but that the body ceased to exist at death. They taught that matter was evil to an extent, sort of like the Gnostics, matter was evil. 
And the body was a mere prison for the soul and the spirit. The Greeks had a proverb that said the body is a tomb. The Stoics, as you know, in Acts 17, 18, they're in Mars Hill, they believed God was a, a fiery spirit, pure, and man was but a, a, a divine spark from God. And so when he died, that spark would return to God. Sounds nice, romantic, peaceful. And then the body would just dissolve. But on what basis, on what documentation? None. The Greek Celsus declared, quote, how can those who have died rise with their identical bodies? Really? It's really is a hope for worms and of worms. For what soul of man would any longer wish for a body that had rotted? Here you have human logic and reasoning so contrary to the revelation of God. Listen to me. I'm not looking for this old funky body to be raised. If he's going to raise up the one that dies, I want to die when I'm 35 or 40. You understand? Strong and still able to collect all my marbles together. I'm looking for a glorified body, just like the one Jesus Christ has. Whenever man attempts to reason and understand spiritual things of God, with his natural abilities and measures the capacities of God by the achievements of man, his conclusions are always going to be equated as foolish when he considers the things of God. But that's what Paul told us in the opening chapter. In chapter 2, verse 14, it says, the things of God, the spiritual things, are considered as foolishness to man because we lean to our understanding. The proposition here, this places a question in verse 12, posed to the Corinthians, sets the stage for the discourse to correct the doctrinal problem, which is answered by eight implications if a person denies the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the key proposition. We're going to take one at a time. Let me read the text. 1512 says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Masterful job that Paul does here. First implication is that it contradicted the gospel and the proclamation, verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, the Corinthians had received the preaching of the gospel from Paul that Christ had died and risen from the dead. Listen to the words again. And if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, the if 
There's no doubt, it's sins. Paul had received the gospel from Christ. Now, this hinges on what he said from verse 1 to verse 11. In verse 1, he said he received the gospel directly from Christ. Paul the Apostle confirms this in Galatians 1, 12, and 13, that he didn't receive it from any of the apostles or in Jerusalem or anything else, but directly from Christ. Galatians 1, 17 and 18 tells us that Jesus taught Paul for three years in Arabia. Just like he taught the disciples for three years, he taught Paul for three years in Arabia. In verse 2 of that section that where he uh, declares the gospel, the Corinthians had received the gospel from Paul and were saved if they held fast to it. There's the condition. See, many people say, I'm a Christian, but they don't live like Christians. They don't believe like Christians, but they still think they're Christians. No, no, you can't. If you're a Christian, then you got to smell like one, walk like one, and, and line up with Scripture. Very important. In verse 3, he delivered to them first, the word there is protos, first in importance, the same gospel he received, that Christ had died for their sins, Here's the key. According to the scriptures, Paul says, I handed to you the same that was handed to me. Identical. Verse 4, then Christ was buried and raised. Here's again, according to the scripture. Verse 3 and 4, he describes the gospel for you in the most simplest form. And they're all related to according to the scripture. What is that? The Old Testament. There was no New Testament when Paul is writing. He's referring to the Old Testament completely. The fact that Jesus was raised is emphatic in the Greek. And the word from is ek, out from the dead, in a glorified fashion, distinct from someone being resuscitated or brought back like those that he did in those of the Old Testament. The perfect passive tense there also indicates Jesus was raised and remained risen, indicating the resurrection as an abiding fact. This appears six times, the fact that he rose and remained risen. Verse 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, and 20. Now, if God says it one time, believe it. When he says it six times, pay attention. What's under attack? The fact that he rose and remained risen in this glorified fashion, which is a shadow of what's going to happen to us. Then in verse 5 and 6, he gives the evidence of those who saw as eyewitnesses. Jesus resurrected. Peter, the 12, 500, most of them still alive. Some had died already. James, and last of all, Paul. Now, the law only required two to three witnesses for major matters, murder, adultery, stuff like that. Our, our, our law that we have here in the United States, jurisprudence, we need sometimes one, sometimes two. But when you're talking about 500 at all at one time, all the evidence that's there, the people that saw, amazing. Jesus constantly declared that um, he was going to be raised from the dead after he was crucified. He mentioned his death and resurrection together always and never separate from the confession of Caesarea Philippi by Peter, Lord of the Christ, the Son of the living God. From that point on, Jesus walking under the shadow of the cross, six months from the cross, he's headed to Jerusalem. And he mentions always together. Now notice also here in 12 that the Corinthians' denial of the resurrection was by some of the Corinthians, not all. And that's important. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So 
Their message was a contradiction to the gospel that was proclaimed by the apostles that the resurrection of the dead, premise upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's very simple. Having faith and a good conscience, 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20 says, which some have rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they learned not to blaspheme. What were they saying? Well, over in 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18, it says, Hymenaeus, and then another individual is mentioned, Philetus, are of this sort, meaning like a cancer-like gangrene, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrew the faith of some. Now, Paul didn't say they were never really born again. He says he overthrew the face of some, and he calls them out by name because they're dangerous to the church. What's Paul afraid of in 1 Corinthians? Of some believing this deception. Paul could say, listen, don't worry about it. Once saved, always saved. They don't have to worry about it. They're going to be in heaven. He wouldn't have to write any letter of the New Testament then. He wrote them because they were in danger. Because he's a concerned father. Just like your children can be abducted, injured, the danger is a possibility. So Paul spiritually believes so. Notice their message was a surprise to Paul. By the very question, how do you, some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? It's an astonishment to him. How could you believe this? If you're a parent, you understand Paul. You would say to your son or daughter, how could you have believed that man what he said? You live with us. We've taught you better. Their conflicting message did not stop there, for they were also baptizing for the dead in verse 29. Though it wasn't a biblical doctrine, though we don't practice it, it's not right, the Mormons practice it. But Paul doesn't even deal with it, but he says, listen, okay, so you don't believe in the resurrection. Let me ask you a question. Why the heck are you baptizing for the dead then? <laughs> and he just leaves it there. That's a rebuke for the doctrine and their practice and their denial of resurrection. Look at 13. The Corinthians' denial of the resurrection of the dead had a direct consequence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. The dead again is in the plural, speaking of the believer. In Christ, who had died physically and looked to be raised. If that was their stand, then in effect they would be saying that Jesus never rose from the dead. And listen, he did not destroy death or conquer death. See, when you deny one key doctrine of the Bible, it's like a domino effect. Boom, 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 boom. It affects many other things. And so today people are saying, oh, let's not worry about doctrine. Let's just love one another. Really? We'll be all jacked up. Love is not sufficient. Love becomes perverted. It becomes partial. What keeps me pure is the doctrine that tells me that I'm a sinner. That my bent is towards partiality. That my bent is to those who I like the most. And I'm not to do that. It keeps me on track. 
This would be a rejection of the gospel message, which was the evidence of God's acceptance of the death of Jesus Christ as payment for all sins, the atonement. He's going to get into that. So the first implication that Christ is not risen is that it contradicted the gospel and the proclamation. Secondly, look at 14. The second implication is that if Christ is not risen, the preaching of the gospel was worthless. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. The apostle would be self-deceived, preaching in vain. He's delusional. The resurrection of Christ and the message of the gospel are inseparable. They are one. The word for preaching, kerugma, identifies the content of the message. The content is the resurrection. First of Jesus and those who believe in Jesus. The content of the resurrection they preached would be completely empty. The word means void of the absolute promise of resurrection from the dead to those who had believed the gospel. It would be like me selling you some bogus bonds. Tell you, I, I just buy these bonds and they're mature. In five years, you're going to make 100000 even though I'm only going to sell them to you for $5. And then you go try to cash them. There's nothing there. Empty. The reason being that the resurrection of all believers is tied to the resurrection of Christ again as the cause and result. So if Jesus did not rise, then the content of the message is of no value, altogether useless. It is just another religion like any other. The apostle preached the message of Christ Jesus risen from the grave and all other apostles from Pentecost on. Their message never wavered. Let me just give you some few examples. In Acts 2.32, the day of Pentecost, Peter said, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are witnesses. Eyewitnesses. Earwitnesses. Feel witnesses. They saw him. They heard him. They touched him. Peter, later in chapter 4 of Acts 10, talking to the entire family of the priests that were there at Jerusalem said let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified in other words you put him to death whom God raised from the dead out from the dead by him this man stands here before you whole and has just been healed the gate called beautiful in Acts 13, 33, Paul in the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia proclaimed this. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Acts 13, 33, he quotes the second psalm, the Old Testament. And we can go from book to book. All the epistles, they all mention the death and resurrection. It is the heart of the gospel. Without it, there is no gospel. If this was not true, then they had embraced empty promises. But they had not. The second implication that Christ has not risen is that their preaching 
was worthless. Third implication, still on 14, the second half, is that if Christ is not risen, their faith was of no value. And your faith is also empty. The faith of the Corinthians was directly related to their trust and dependency for what the gospel had proclaimed and promised, the content that we just talked about. Some people think that faith is simply believing hard enough and long enough, but that is not faith, but mind over matter and hopeful wishing. It's used by many of the occults. It's used by the New Age movement. It's used in yoga. It's used in contemplative prayer by the emergent church. It used to be called imagery. It just goes around their different labels, but it's occultic. So Christians fabricate their own ideal. This is how they do imagery. You're sick, or just squat yourself and think that you're out here in a nice flowing brook. Imagine the trees just leaves just flowing real slow. And then Jesus squawks up to you and he puts his hand upon you and he heals you. It's called imagery. Suggestiveness, contemplative prayer, mind over matter, positive thinking, all these eggheads that have invaded the church. And it's taught by major denominationals of the day. Certainly by colleges. Biblical faith is related to the revelation of God's word and the condition to meet in order to obtain the promise. The revelation was that God sent his only son to die for us, that whoever believes in should not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. So faith is based on what God has revealed, not on what I can imagine. Okay? The condition is repentance and turning my life around by trusting God, believing that he did for me what I could not do for myself by providing that sacrifice and that he would give me a new nature, a new heart, a new mind, and the ability to live the life that he only can live through me by his grace. It's called repentance, 2 Corinthians 7, 9. A complete turnaround, 180 degrees. Your pastor used to be walking this way in the world, wholehearted. And I heard the gospel, and he turned me around, and I walked the opposite way. The promise is only as good as the one who makes it. In this case, it's God, and he can't lie. Numbers 23, 19. The faith of the Corinthians that saved them was not natural then, but supernatural as the result of the Spirit of God. Faith is a result of a person's brokenheartedness, contrite spirit, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to see your need of a Savior, your lostness, the wrath of God upon you. And by His grace allows you to make a decision. You made a decision and you repented of your sins. You saw yourself poor in spirit that deserves salvation. You're saved by grace through faith and out of yourself is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Poor in spirit, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 3. By the grace of God. Listen to me. And nobody's going to be up in heaven at the, at the beam of seat of Christ like this. Everybody's on their face. Everybody's got their crowns at the feet of Jesus because even that which he will reward us, he did through us. We deserve hell. We don't deserve heaven. 
The third implication that Christ is not risen is that their faith was of no value. Pretty heavy implications, isn't it? Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about the transforming work of the gospel. And you can request a copy of today's crucial study called Implications of Denying the Resurrection. It's available on CD for just $4. A good grasp of the importance of Jesus' resurrection is key to the Christian faith. You may want to share this important message with those in your Sunday school class or home Bible study. That title to ask for once again is Implications of Denying the Resurrection. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. How important is it to understand the full consequences of the gospel? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com